Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on Community Radio 3CR. My name is James Barry.、Uh, I'll be flying solo today, or mostly solo.、Uh, Annie McLaughlin from Solidarity Breakfast has agreed kindly to help me here with panelling in the studio.、Uh, but unfortunately, our regular presenter Giselle Hanna,、uh, who you all know and love, is、uh, been hit by COVID, so she's out for another for just. This week, and she'll be back next week.、Um, but we、uh, sent out our thoughts to her, and also our thanks to Comrade、uh, Pia Chaveri for also flying solo last week and doing an excellent job.、Uh, and、uh, yes, so today we're going to have regular news, followed by in the second half of the show, we're going to be speaking to an Iranian labor activist about issues to do with the labor movement, political prisoners, and the crackdown on the. Uh, protest currently happening in Iran.、Uh, in the first half, of course, we'll have the news.、Um, just to let you know that Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Working Links.、Uh, if you want to get into contact with us, we are our email is aawl at.、Uh, uh, sorry,、uh, I have to I have to bring that back to you. I didn't read read that one properly. But、uh, we're available. You can check us out on the internet, or you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And our email is aawl at aawl dot org dot au.、Uh, so to begin with, the news. So the United States has formed a new Asian alliance. Over the past few months, APC has covered the alliance deal- deals that have been shaping the U.S.-China competition in the Pacific. Of course, these deals aren't limited to the Pacific. And in the past week, a new forum, I two U two, met for its first summit. The new quad brought together the leaders of India, Israel, and the United States and the United Arab Emirates, and aims to focus on six mutually identified areas: water, energy, transportation, space, health, and food security. The summit was also aimed at dealing with food and energy prices that have been rising due to the Ukraine war and pandemic recovery. For India and the U.S., the I2U2 grouping is part of a hedging strategy in countering Chinese. Countering the Chinese influence through mobilizing foreign capital to get behind infrastructure and other projects that can rival China's Belt and Road Initiative. For Israel, I too, U two builds on the diplomatic opportunities of the Abraham Accords and the building of relationships with Arab countries, particularly in the Gulf and North Africa. And for the United Arab Emirates, this new forum suits their strategies for remaining an economic powerhouse in a post-oil and perhaps post-U.S. world. Moving to India now. Where Kashmiri government workers have stri-、uh, striking over pay. On Monday, workers from the Ministry of Jal Shakti, which manages water, protested outside of the ministry's headquarters in Udampur in Jammu and Kashmir. The workers demanded the regularisation of qualified community participation workers and the implementation of the minimum wage. Community participation schemes are one means of employing local labour in India. Where workers usually receive training at a state industrial institute, and uh, uh, many of the workers in this dispute area are local Kashmiri day labourers who complain of being regularly cheated of their earnings and are striking to secure stable income. They're paid as day labourers. 
The strike has pointed out that the water situation in Jammu and Kashmir has deteriorated since the strike action began and have resolved that they will not give up on what they call the Kamchot Hatal, or stop work strike, until the government meet their demands. To South Korea, in a story that we've been covering for the last couple of weeks, uh, where the South Korean government has hinted at breaking the Daewoo strike. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol, who is known as an anti-union president, this week hinted that the shipbuilders' strike at the, of the Korean Metal Workers' Union may be broken up by the authorities under his command. The strike, which we've been covering on APC these past few weeks, resulted from the Daewoo Company's decade-long wage freeze, in which workers had not only never seen a pay rise, but had actually been subject to wage cuts. Workers have been on strike since June 2nd, and have occupied the shipbuilding yards. Daewoo claims the company has fallen on hard times, as rising costs coincided with the loss of several lucrative lucrative Russian clients. The President's remarks followed a local district court ruling last Friday that the strike was an illegal occupation. The union has denounced the courts and the administration for ruling that the workers' life-or-death struggle is illegal, saying it showed the value that they held in the lives of workers in Korea. By the end of the week, reports emerged that the police are in the process of planning to storm the dock in coming days, and we will keep you up to date with any developments that happen in the Daewoo shipbuilding site. Moving to Malaysia now. Malaysian workers' associations are protesting the whipping of a migrant worker. 45 Malaysian and Indonesian workers' groups and organisations have signed a joint statement in condemning the whipping of an Indonesian migrant worker in prison this week. The worker, Sabri bin Umar, is appealing his conviction for illegal immigration and was whipped in prison as part of his sentence, despite his case still being before the courts. Sabri had been arrested when his employment was terminated suddenly and was convicted due to a lack of proper court process, as documents proving he is a documented worker, such as the 2022 visa renewal, were not put before the court. Sabri's case is similar to many migrant workers whose employment is suddenly terminated, and it highlights the treatment of migrant labour, both documented and undocumented. That is, even though he has been caned or whipped for uh, not being... for, for being under he's un, under appeal at the moment he shouldn't have been sentenced the fact that whipping and, and caning of undocumented workers is a sanctioned sentence in malaysia is also something of a severe concern moving now to sri lanka sri lankans continue to protest after the new president is announced sri lankans have continued to protest following the impo- appointment of ranul wickremesinghe as president after the previous president Gotabaya Rajapaksa fled the country in the past week. The change is seen as a band-aid solution since Wickrama Singha is a Rajapaksa ally, as indicated by his choice to appoint another close Rajapaksa ally, Dinesh Gunawardna, as Prime Minister. Meanwhile, the country remains in chaos as power cuts and fuel shortages make it difficult for workers to get to work on time and earn a living. Food prices have skyrocketed and many essential items are unaffordable. Despite popular images of the storming of the presidential palace this week, most protesters are still being met with tear gas and police violence, and the superficial change of government only increases the impression that those responsible for the crisis will not only go unpunished, but they will also stay in power. To Papua New Guinea now, where violence has rocked the recent elections. 
Violence has escalated in recent day, days in Papua New Guinea's parliamentary election, leaving tens of people dead and increasing the likelihood that the election will be declared a failure. A tribal conflict led to the massacre of 18 men, women and children in the highland regional hub, hub town of Porgera, while other electoral sites across the country have seen shootings, the burning of buildings and sexual assault in recent days. Tribal, regional and other loyalties have been mobilised by political organisations, which has led to violence where victims are more often than not bystanders. The election, which is supposed to run over 18 days from July 4, is at risk of being declared a failure, with already voting in one province deemed to be invalid due to the violent removal of ballot boxes. Elections have long been violent affairs in Papua New Guinea, with the last election in 2017 costing the lives of more than 2,000 people. And we hope in coming weeks maybe we'll be able to bring someone an interview for that particular topic. Final, the final item for this week is press freedom is under attack across Asia. In recent weeks, Asia Pacific Currents has reported on the sustained attack on press freedom in the Philippines. This week we can report that similar issues are now emerging in the Maldives and Indonesia, where the governments are developing legislation aimed at curtailing press, free, press freedoms. On Monday, the president of the Maldives, Mohamed Soleh, ratified amendments to the Nation's Evidence Act, allowing courts to demand sources from journalists, despite protests from the Maldivian Journalists Association and the International Federation of Journalists. Across the Indian Ocean in Indonesia, Journalists are facing a similar fight as the House of Representatives is expect to make, expected to make changes to the Indonesian Criminal Code this month in closed-door sessions of Parliament, so we won't know what the debates are, which will affect the ability for journalists to do their job. In particular, defamation rules in which, which apply prison sentences to those who slander the President, slander inverted commas, the President, the Vice President and other state authorities, as well as laws that effectively ban unauthorised protest, are believed to be included in this changes to the code. These measures are seen as a legal mechanism to harshly punish dissent and have been condemned by the International Federation of Journalists and the Alliance of Independent Journalists of Indonesia. Uh, We're going to go now to a few community announcements and we'll come back after the break with the Iranian labour activist for an interview on the topic of labour issues in Iran. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail loss now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Three CR Radiothon fundraiser, three to seven PM Saturday, twenty third of July. Uprise Radio and Stick Together join forces, bringing you an afternoon of discussion and music. Climate, capitalism, and the future. Zelda Grimshaw from Blockade Australia. Dr. Colin Long, sustainability campaigner from Victoria Trades Hall, and Anthony Kelly from Melbourne Activist Legal Service. Followed by tunes from local legends Liz Thomas and Maxine Fink. Followed by Sooty Owls. Refreshments, raffle and fun. Climate, capitalism and the future. Uprise Radio and Stick Together event. 3CR fundraiser. Saturday, July the 23rd, 
3 to 7pm. Black Spark Cultural Centre, 253A St George's Road. Tram 11 will get you there. Stop 30. $10 solidarity. No one turned away. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, Coming up now, we have an interview with an Iranian labor activist covering issues to do with labor and political prisoners in Iran. Uh, We would uh, like to thank them for agreeing to uh, appear today. Um, uh, With our first question, um, we'd just like to start with, in May and June, more than a dozen activists were returned to prison in Iran. Uh, We'd just like to ask, can you comment on what is behind the recent crackdown on protesters? Um, hello, I want to say hi to everyone who is listening to this program and thank you for inviting me uh, to this interview. Uh, yeah, um, I would like to give a bit of background on on the situation in Iran at the moment. In the last few months, specifically after Raisi's government uh, in power, there have been a huge super inflation on basic uh, food items such as bread, pasta, and, uh, you know, the changes that uh, they are doing economically towards a more new liberal uh, uh, model of economy uh, have affected uh, the very uh, vulnerable uh, members of the society. And it creates a very um, um, tense situation in Iran, uh, which is even harder and more complicated than what was in the past. And... Um, it creates a lot of demands on very basic economical needs. So there is like a very kind of uh, unrest uh, atmosphere in the society waiting for, um, you know, just um, a spark to just explode. So in this situation, it is very important for the, the regime to to reduce that possibility of any spark, which basically means um, trying to uh, disconnect the unrest people in Iran, for example, retirement, uh, retired people, uh, workers, teachers, uh, they have the, their demands for uh, increase of wages to cover up this huge inflation. Um, they are m- more economical demands. So the key or red line for the uh, Iranian regime is to stop these um, uh, multiple uh, or uh, very wide range uh, economical demands and which come to which take to the street. People come to the street to demonstrate uh, uh, and ask demand their their uh, the increase of wage and all that sort of stuff. The the red line for the regime is to do not let these connect each other and also get elevated to political demand. So this is the red line. And having that in mind, then the, uh, if I want to comment a bit about uh, the way that oppression and suppression happens in Iran, there are multiple intel- intelligence organizations uh, with uh, a variety of policies that they follow, and they work in parallel. So... They cover different uh, different uh, sectors and different bits, and they they work in 
not always harmonious, but in many cases in parallel and harmony to each other. And um, the, they, they do different things, like these, the recent arrestments that you're talking about comes from a variety of reasons. But what is basically the logic behind that is that whoever has the capacity to, to organize or to connect these demands, economical demands, to political demands, or has the, the capacity or potential to do so in future, or, ha- or kind of si- signals this kind of policy get arrested. That's, I think, basically what is behind uh, these recent arrestments from all sorts of political uh, uh, parties or political uh, tendencies. Thank you. Uh, among those sent back to prison is the prominent trade unionist Reza Shahabi. Could you tell listeners a bit about the struggle he is part of? Yeah, sure. Uh, Reza Shahabi is a member of uh, Bus Drivers Union. Bus Drivers Union um, uh, is one of one of the uh, most organised and uh, um, militant uh, organisations, union organisations in Iran. In Iran, there are a lot of yellow unions. Uh, um, you know, the ones that are connected to to the state. But uh, Bus Drivers Union is one of one of the good ones, one of the most independent ones, and one of the most organised and active ones. Reza Shahabi belongs to that struggle, and uh, he just have been um, at the moment that we are talking. He's on hunger strike. Um, I would like to mention that uh, most of the time that we are talking about hunger strikes and things like that in from Iranian prisons, that that is very common. The main reason for this is not for to get you know to release them or anything like that. They basically go on hunger strike to to get a very basic rights. For example, in case of Reza Shahabi and Muhammad Habibi, they are on hunger strike at the moment, demanding a public and a transparent uh, trial. That's all they want. Because it's very common in Iran that um, one of one of the very common policies that the regime follows is that they just arrest people uh, without trial. The the, the the time between arresting and trial could go for years uh, without any uh, legal process. So at the moment, um, Reza Shahabi is on hunger strike, demanding a, a very transparent and public trial. Uh, which is obviously something that the uh, uh, Islamic regime is avoiding because it's obvious that uh, these people haven't done anything wrong and or- organizing is not crime. Uh, so I think they are they're having a great demand and um, um, and I hope that uh, they, they, Reza Shahabi and other uh, uh, political prison, I mean, uh, uh, unionists in prison stay safe and be... Uh, be healthy. Um, did I answer your question? Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to build on this question, though. Uh, at yep. the same time that Shahabi was arrested, two French trade unionists were also arrested along, uh, well, around the same time uh, for meeting with him. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what this says about the challenges of international solidarity when it comes to Iran? Yeah, that's actually a very great question, given the position that we are in, um, you know, as... as um, activists out of Iran, it is a, an important question. 
uh, one thing that uh, helps to understand the situation is that in Iran, and I believe in some other countries, but specifically in Iran that I'm more aware of, uh, being connected to and um, with organizations or activists and receiving aid from people outside of country or what they call foreign air is a taboo. It's uh, something that uh, has its roots in uh, imperialist uh, interventions in Iran back in Shah's time. Uh, in Interesting. Uh, and uh, just talking more about solidarity, and you mentioned earlier that when groups begin to link up within Iran, that's a red line for the regime. Uh, there are a number of ongoing industrial disputes. We've covered them on Asia-specific currents, the teachers' strikes and others, uh, which have started to generate some solidarity between workers' groups. Uh, what do you see for the future prospects of workers or worker solidarity between Iranians? Yeah, that's also a very nice question. Um, there is, yeah, as you said, this awareness is there. For example, the most recent recent ones, uh, the retired people. Uh, I need to give a short background in that case. Um, in Australia, we have superannuation. In Iran, it's not the case. So there is there is a government organization that holds that money that work. You know, everyone who works, you know, pays something for, or they keep some part of the wage for the future, but they don't give them as lump sum. They just uh, give them as, once they retire, they give them like a wage. Still it's a pension, wage yes. Going on. Yeah, the pension. Uh, so this pension is very low. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the increase in, um, uh, the inflation is very high. And uh, at the moment, the retirees are in the street demanding a higher, uh, a, a, a higher rise uh, that's uh, 
kind of addresses the inflation that is in there. And they are at the moment in the streets all around uh, uh, Iran, in, in all cities. And the recent chant that they, they do is, if we don't get together, it won't work. It shows that these people understand uh, uh, the concept of solidarity, and they know that it, uh, uh, if they don't get together, they can't fix the problem. Um, we can see that the same kind of attitudes uh, from teachers, workers in steel industry, sugarcane, and we, it's always there. So the awareness is there. Uh, but as, as I mentioned earlier, this is a very important red line for the regime, and they, they do their best to, to not let any, any seed of this uh, solidarity um, uh, get shaped. Um, any nuclear that tries to connect uh, these struggles together gets smashed uh, as soon as they realize or as soon as they suspect that it's going to happen. So the awareness is there, but um, also there are challenges. Uh, moving on to a similar related topic, uh, the media has also been a target in Iran, with a number of journalists and photographers arrested in recent months. Uh, could you give listeners an idea about press freedom in Iran? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's um, Iran is one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to freedom of press alongside other freedoms. Um, the journalists... Uh, that have been recently jailed. Uh, well, they, um, they, many, some of them are still part of the system and structure. Um, they, but they revealed some news about other parties in the regime. As I mentioned earlier, there are a number of um, uh, stronger uh, um, nucleus of power in, in the Iranian regime, and uh, the recent arrestments in in, in media usually goes back to uh, the fights inside them and among them. Uh, but I would like to take the opportunity, because it's something that's very new happened, uh, uh, when we are talking about freedom. One of, one of the most basic rights that are violated in Iran is the freedom of uh, choosing um, clothes and dress and what you, what you wear. Um, in Iran, women, are, which are half of the population, are under serious uh, oppression for hijab. And I'm mentioning that uh, I know it's not exactly what you asked, but uh, it's related to freedom topic because it's, it's a very hot uh, um, topic at the moment going on in Iran. Um, the recently, there was um, one of these um, uh, regime-related uh, women who was uh, ha- harassing other women for hijab, and people kicked her out of um, bus. And it created a very um, serious and hot uh, conversation and debate. And uh, a, a very um, brave activist who was in the uh, in the spot in the in the bus and was attacked with this woman has been arrested. Uh, her name is Sapide Rational. I just wanted to quickly mention that because. Um, because it's something yeah, that's because it's contemporary and very relevant, continuing to be relevant. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, we have to stop. The, we have to move on now. But um, I just wanted to give you a brief opportunity to mention any political campaigns that are going on at the moment. Um, yeah, as, uh, well, it's exactly connected to that. Uh, yeah, at the moment, what is the hot topic uh, that people talk about and is on the news is this hijab thing. Um, 
the problem of hijab and uh, the struggle of women against uh, compulsory hijab. No one is against having hijab. The point is about uh, that being compulsory, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a system of it creates a system of uh, oppression uh, to uh, to oppress uh, women who are, I believe, one of the bravest uh, uh, when it comes to different campaigns, and. Uh, um, it's it's definitely uh, one mechanism that uh, the Islamic regime uses to frustrate and to uh, reduce um, the demands. You know, when when you create um, a useless demand like a job, people have to push to get that, and they don't get to go to more uh, fundamental, more serious ones. And I think, I believe this is the policy that they followed. Anyway. Thank, thank you very it, much. It, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, you've been listening to an Iranian labor activist on uh, Asia Pacific Currents. My name is James Barry. Uh, thank you for listening this week. Uh, we'll be back next week and Giselle will be back. We wish her well. And uh, coming up next is Palestine Remembered.